0: evening everybody welcome to another episode of the breakdown it is january 21st 2023 2024 damn it i knew i was gonna do that soon i'm your host nate pike or what passes for one, anyways. And we got a lot to talk about tonight. We're 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 going the long haul tonight, I suspect, because there's a lot to talk about in Alberta politics. We're going to try to cover as much of it as we possibly can before we go to our regular uh, call-in. I'm still not sure what to what to to name it. Segment where if you're on the Twitter Spaces and you're listening to the live show, then uh, you can you can hop on and share your thoughts and tell us what we got right and what we got wrong and other things i guess uh if you're listening to the audio version of the podcast we're we're probably not on twitter spaces right now so don't don't do that but getting right into the start of things we're going to start with a story that was kind of presented in a little bit of abstractions, but it's actually really, really important because it has some really big implications for not only the current state of the province of Alberta, but the future state of the province of Alberta. I'm talking about the report that the AER, Alberta Energy Regulator, released on January 17th, where they talked about the, the liability that Albertans face in regard to orphan wells now we've done a bunch of different episodes on this before so i'm not going to go too far into it but the long and the short of it is when an oil company drills a well hopefully not too close to a dam that's susceptible to to fracking because that would be really bad but when an oil company drills a well and they get all this stuff out and they go ha we got everything then they can uh, put put a cap on it and just kind of leave it there for a while. Now, that stays in the oil company's inventory and they have a responsibility to clean that up or to remediate the site. That means making sure that it's not just capped, but it's like fully shut down, completely not going to leak anything, not going to do anything, and that all of the soil around the area is also cleaned up. Um that doesn't happen with the the frequency or the urgency that a lot of people who pay attention to this issue would like to see. But what even is even worse is sometimes what happens is that oil company will go, Ah, oh, I bought too many sea and I'm broke now, so I'm going to go bankrupt. Um suckers! And then that oil well becomes an orphan well because there's no longer a company that's responsible for it to clean it up. That orphan well then goes to the Orphan Wells Association and it's effectively up to taxpayers to cover the bill to clean up these wells, which is a big problem because in Alberta we have something called the polluter pays principle, which is that if you got the money out of the ground, you probably should have saved some of that money to clean up the thing. There's the whole abandoned Wells, orphan Wells in a nutshell. Well, on January 17th, the AR released a report saying, hey, you know what? Here's the uh, here's the amount of of how much uh, we we've got. And a lot of people immediately went, Whoa, 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 whoa. You're saying there's only thirty-three billion uh, that needs to be be cleaned up. That seems like a that seems like a profoundly low number. And it's important to understand how the AER says they got to that number and how everybody else disagrees. Now, in order to make some sense of this, uh, there was um, there's some things that we gotta talk about first. So first of all, the report highlighted uh, that the amount spent on old well cleanup was nearly $700 million in 2022, which sounds like a really big number. But the problem with that number is more than half of that 700 million came from the federal government, which is to say more than half of the cleanup for the wells that oil companies did for their own wells. We're not even talking about the orphan wells here. We're just talking about companies, I got this well I'm not using. More than half of the cleanup was paid for by taxpayers. So again, we have oil companies making record profits over the last couple of years. They're cutting jobs because they're doing an amazing job with automation because technology, But taxpayers are subsidizing the cleanup of these wells through these payments that the federal government provided. But to get to this $33 billion estimate of wells that needs to be cleaned up, uh, you have to to go back to an approach that was used um, basically for the last few years. But that approach has some problems, and it was actually called into question by the AER. So a few years ago, the AER had a... uh, a 2019 presentation that was pre- presented on liability cha- challenges. Uh, this was presented by Robert Wadsworth, who is the Vice President of Closure and Liability. And he emphasized, hey, I think maybe we need to check our formula a little bit. And this graphic is one of the graphics that has made the rounds ever since then. Um, now, this this was released through a FOIP that was done by uh, Drew Yuchuk. Um, and uh, thanks to him for that, we're able to see this report. But you can see that when we're talking about the current state of liabilities and securities, the security collected is $1.6 billion. The liability that's been calculated is $57.8 billion. The liability that's estimated, so this is a different number, is $250 billion dollars now the AR very quickly turned around and said, "Oh yeah, some of you guys uh you got the this this thing where we talked about eh, maybe there's there's some some reports that have gone on uh, two hundred sixty billion dollars in liability we don't we don't believe that we think it's fifty eight billion so there's been some back and forth over whether or not those numbers are accurate, but where it gets particularly mind blowing is from a story uh, the one that's on the screen right now uh, I'll read from it just to save time." In total, the documents suggest the liability estimates derived from Directive 11 that inform Wednesday's report were low by 263%. Martin Oshinsky said the report's liability figure was derived at least partly from estimates of well cleanup costs that were first published in 2015. That was pointed out in March by Alberta's Auditor General, but they're still being used, Dolshinsky said. How are they still publishing numbers that they know are incorrect, he said. Dave Hardy, the Regulators Manager of Liability Management, acknowledged the liability estimate is wobbly. And this is where it gets wild, because the quote that comes from the, uh, the Regulators Manager of Liability Management is, we can't say it's an underestimate or an overestimate. So the group that are responsible for estimating how much uh debt how, how what the liability is that exists for oil wells in the province of alberta don't know if their own estimate is an overestimate or an underestimate which isn't great but the really important thing to highlight in all of this is even if we go with the the AAR's estimate and here's the the estimates for the last few years even if we go with these estimates then we're still looking at $33.3 billion of oil wells that need to be cleaned up. Now, to be clear, that's a very low number. And we've done, like I said, several episodes where we've had several people who know way more about this stuff than we claim to, where they've said, actually, if you take a look at it over the next 10 years, we're, we're on the way to like a, a quarter t- trillion dollars, which is a really big number. Um, certainly more than than the $5 billion surplus that Danielle Smith and the UCP ran around the block saying, hooray, we did such a great job. Because even with the $5 billion surplus, we're still looking at $33 billion in potential liabilities. It's bad news bears, and it's something that we could very easily be passing on to the next generation of Albertans. Moving on from there, we're going to talk a little bit for the next—I don't know—it depends on how long-winded I am—about uh, policing, because there's some interesting information that has has come up in regards to policing and police spending, and there's also some inf- interesting information. As to how it's being executed in the province of Alberta, we're going to talk about all of those things. So the first thing that we want to talk about is a new Canadian study that was just released that took a look at municipalities all across uh, Canada. So it's a Canadian specific study. We're not looking at something in uh, Europe or Belgium, which is technically in Europe. Um, the The municipal spending on police, has mainly increased steadily since 2010 across Canada. Police services were the top operating expenditure for 60% of the municipalities that the study looked at in 2019. They revealed, looking at all of these different municipalities, looking at all of these different budgets, some some municipalities spending way more, some municipalities spending less, uh, their analysis revealed no consistent correlation between police funding and crime rates across municipalities. It's almost as if policing, by and large, is responsive. A crime happens, the police get called. Now, I want to be really clear. We're not knocking the police here, okay? Um, There is a lot of proactive policing that gets done as well. There's a lot of education programs that different police departments utilize but not all police departments are able to utilize those education programs and not all police departments utilize them in the same way or with the same enthusiasm or the same commitment. So there's variables here but at the end of the day this report seems to underscore what many people have been saying for quite some time already. When you're talking about the vast majority of crime it's not being completed or conducted by people who are just looking to have some fun, it's being done by people who are committing these crimes because they believe that it's what they need to do to get by. Or because of other social issues that are driving it. And what the report seems to strongly suggest is, if you want to address crime, dumping money into the A crime happened, we should send people to deal with it and catch the bad guys, which is all really important stuff, not minimizing that. But dumping money just into that doesn't do anything to address the root causes of crime. If you want to do that kind of thing, then you have to take a look at what the underlying issues are that are driving the various different types of crime that are out there. And you have to have that conversation in an empirical and evidence-based way, which many people are saying is not necessarily happening all that well right now. And perhaps one of the best ways that we can find an example of that is by looking at a new bylaw that the city of Edmonton is talking about. So in this new bylaw, there's a bunch of different things that they're looking at potentially making illegal. Now, some of them, some people would probably say, oh, that seems like a that seems like a really good idea. So, for example, uh, there's certainly some people that are excited about the idea of banning public drug use, even though that's a strange little beast to try to enforce. And it was tried out on the West Coast and there was a charter challenge and it's a whole whole thing. We're going we're gonna to try to get a legal expert on to have a conversation about that in the next couple of weeks because it's way out of our, our realm of expertise. But that's the kind of severity of the issue that we're, we're talking about here. Um, city bylaw officers can fine people $500 for openly possessing or consuming a controlled substance anywhere in public. This is happening at a special meeting on February 2nd. But some of the other things that they're looking at banning are loitering on transit. Now, loitering on transit turns into a complicated question really quick because there are a lot of homeless and houseless individuals, particularly during the types of cold snaps that we've had recently here in Alberta, who use transit as a means to get warm. And while it might be visually off-putting, I guess, to see a homeless person or a houseless person on the same C train line that you're on, they're doing it to stay alive. And they're doing it because they clearly don't have access to or don't feel safe utilizing some of the existing shelters that may or may not be in place. So when you're talking about that demographic, throwing down a fine on those people, not only it's not going to get paid, so now you're looking at, if you want to pursue those fines, and now you're looking at increased costs to the taxpayer to try to recoup those fines that they're not going to be able to pay anyways. And if they get enough tickets for the same thing, then they're end- going to end up having to do a time-served, uh, going to jail kind of situation for a couple of days. Yeah, get some out of the cold. But it also ends up costing taxpayers because now taxpayers are having to put that person in jail, which is a lot more expensive than simply putting them in housing. They're also looking at potentially banning panhandling um, near roads, which again is dissonant because if you're going to charge someone a fine for panhandling and they're panhandling to make ends meet, It raises a lot of questions about, again, how are they going to pay that fine? How many tickets are they going to have to get before it turns into an incarceration type situation, which doesn't do anybody any good? Having conversations about how we can actually address some of these issues without criminalizing poverty and criminalizing the houseless and the homeless is a really important conversation that we need to have. But we're not doing a great job of having it in this province right now at all. And you don't have to go very far for other examples of announcements that demonstrate that. Because we also saw this week a new announcement. And this is, there's a lot to unpack here. This gets really complicated really quick. And I should probably drag up the cancel clock. Um, there we go, we're nice and close to midnight. Because uh, we're gonna, I'm gonna say some things that are probably gonna get some some people a little bit annoyed here. But to start with, the announcement was that the Alberta government is opening an Edmonton support center uh, for what to do with people when they close encampments. So as many people have pointed out on social media and in conventional media, a lot of these encampment areas that are being closed, they're they are ripping up the tents, they're ripping up the tarps, they're shooing the people on, and within 72 hours, they pop up again because, again, we haven't addressed the underlying issues. You've destroyed the... The those people's things and you've taken away their stuffs, but we haven't addressed the underlying issues of why they're there. Why aren't they in the shelters? We haven't had that fulsome conversation. And there were some, uh, let's go with props that got rolled out at this uh, this event, this this press conference. We're throwing up a tweet on the screen here from the the progress report. Where they, uh, their editor Duncan Kenny attended, and he took some pictures of the the visual aids, the props. They had uh, a tent that was on fire. They had some some debris, and then they had this. Oh my gosh, this this is such a scary picture. Except it's not. So this is a picture of a variety of let's go with edged things, and a couple of replica uh, firearms. Now, to the average layperson, uh, you might look at this and go, Oh, that's a lot of knives. They're really scary. But to anybody who knows anything about knives, you look at this and goes, That's a collection. This is a bunch of decorative knives that is a collection. And really, there's only one item on this entire table that is potentially illegal. And that's assuming that it's actually what it appears to be. And that would be the brass knuckles. Now, how do we know what's actually on the table? Well, a little while ago, the Edmonton police service released in effect, uh, an inventory count of what all of this stuff was. They, uh, They found a hard golf travel case. So again, All in one place, almost as if it's somebody's collection. They found 10 samurai swords, 11 machetes, 34 knives, including folding and fixed blade knives, and one they claim is a butterfly knife. Although, everybody on the team has looked at these pictures. We can't find the butterfly knife to to save our lives. Um, Two axes brass knuckles, which would be the illegal thing, collapsible baton, an imitation AK-47 pellet gun, and an imitation AR-15 Crossman BB gun. So again, the only thing in the pictures that would potentially be illegal would be the brass knuckles. But nonetheless, that context very clearly... Left out. It's a scary picture. There's a lot of knives and gun looking things. And if you don't know your gun looking things, then it looks like those guns are really dangerous. But it's entirely conceivable that that could be the collection of somebody who lost their home. And having those things in a golf case is not illegal. To be clear, it's not illegal at all. But it was apparently confiscated for reasons. Now, there's some other things that we got to talk about with this announcement because there's some other things that are going on with this announcement. One of the biggest ones is there's been a whole lot of talk about Edmonton. There's been the encampment down, breakdowns in Edmonton. There's been this, this new navigation center that is going to be triaged, apparently, by the Edmonton Police Service. So as much as Jason Nixon and friends stood up and said, well, you know what, we're going to have this thing where if somebody wants to come on the bus, they can come on the bus and then we'll take them to the place and then they can get some supports. We'll have uh, different buses that can take them to shelters because it's really more of a navigation center. It's not so much a, a, a shelter itself. There'll be some beds in case we're ripping up encampments in the middle of the night, I guess. Um, but it'll get people plugged into social services and all of that sounds very, very good. But one of the other things that they say is, somebody has the choice between going on the bus or going about their day or going into treatment or if they have warrants then it becomes maybe they, they get shuffled off in another direction and the people making this determination as to what's the most appropriate route are apparently going to be the Edmonton Police Service now you can get a warrant issued for not having paid tickets So this could turn into a really expensive, complicated thing really, really quickly. And it could see a lot of people who are just trying to do their best to survive on the streets who haven't committed a violent crime. Maybe some have. Those ones probably should be arrested. But the ones who haven't committed a violent crime, they're going to be sleeping in their tents. And then all of a sudden the police are going to show up and say, hey, we're taking all of your stuff. We're ripping up your tent. And by the way, we found a warrant. So now you're going to jail. There's a lot of context that's missing. And one of the questions that's been raised is this whole thing a step towards the forced treatment. Daniel Smith and the UCP have been very clear coming into the next legislative session, which is a doozy, and we're going to be talking about it in a bit. But coming into the next legislative session, one of the big things that they're going to be focusing on is the, the, the forced treatment where they're going to be taking people and saying, ah, you've been using the drugs, and we don't like that, so we're going to force you into treatment. Now, the parameters for what's going to trigger that have been very poorly defined and very poorly explained by pretty much everybody, so nobody knows what's going on. But it's not a great look when a mechanism is being built in Edmonton that's going to allow the police to round up homeless people and then decide where is it that they're going to go. But there's a bigger issue that we need to talk about with this this whole announcement. And before we get to it, we're going to play this little clip that occurred during the the press conference where uh, Minister of, of Public Safety and Hiring Western Standard creative writers to be their press secretaries apparently uh, had some thoughts that he wanted to share.
1: Conciliation is not just words, it is actions and that's what this is. We are trying to provide safe places for our vulnerable population. We are trying to protect them from being preyed upon by organized crime, by Red Alert, by other
0: gangs. Does anybody out here think that it is right to be, be charged a fee to use a water fountain, to, to
2: uh, be charged to, to even walk down the street or, use, uh, or go under an
1: underpass? Because that's what's happening. And so when you have questions regarding Indigenous people, it's not to go to the activists. I ask you, I implore you. We have Grand Chief Thomas here, and I'm going to ask him to
2: supplement what I have to say.
3: I'm going to answer that in a <clears throat> just a bit
0: of a different way. and um. So let's walk through what happened there. Mike Ellis stands up and says, hey, you know, there's these gangs. They're charging people to use water fountains. They're charging people to use underpasses. And that's not cool. So we need to do something about that. That in and of itself is not an unreasonable argument. One might argue that the the solution would not be to focus on the houseless and homeless people. And instead, uh, maybe the solution would be to target the people that are doing those things. But I guess if you just get rid of the prey, then the predators will go away and absolutely not move on to other things. I don't think that's actually how that works. So it's a little bit of a weird logical fallacy that, that, that Minister Ellis is, is throwing out there because his whole argument seems to be, hey, we got to stop the, the homeless people from trying to walk under the overpasses where the red alert will, will come and charge the money to walk under the overpasses. But there's two other pieces at least, that are really important to talk about. The first one is where Mr. Ellis says, don't talk to the activists. Now, I've referenced it many times on the show before. I'm going to reference it again here now. We did an episode a little while back, long while back, where we went out and we did a walk-along. Well, we did a whole conversation with some of the the core members of a, a, a street outreach group here in Calgary called the Street Cats. And they allowed us... Uh, to join them on a walk along where they were working with and supporting the houseless and homeless population here in Calgary. And I've said it in many places before, and I'm going to say it again, the relationships that this organization has built with the houseless and the homeless population was absolutely mind blowing to see the, the, the trust and the, the comfort that existed between the people that the Street Cats were serving and the, the houseless and the homeless, many of whom were in fact Indigenous, was one of the most humbling things I've ever seen in my entire life. So, to say and to discount the work of organizations like the Street Cats or the Bear Clan, who come to it from a specifically Indigenous First Nations perspective, to discount them when they're working with these people and building these relationships is pretty arrogant, dangerous, ignorant. There's lots of different words I could use to describe it. But anytime somebody's saying, hey, don't go talk to the people who are actually volunteering their time to deal with this stuff firsthand, don't talk to them. That part of the statement alone is enough to go, well, I don't know about that. But here's where it gets more complicated. I feel like I should grab the cancel clock again. If the only representation that you're choosing to engage with when we're talking about Indigenous, First Nations, Métis issues is elected chiefs, we have a bit of a problem. Because the whole structure for elected chiefs in Canada is a byproduct of the Indian Act. And the Indian Act is a dumpster fire that was created to erase First Nations, Indigenous, Métis cultures. So to say... The only stakeholders that we're going to engage, the only stakeholders that we think you should be looking at for representation on these issues are the ones that our institutions created is a little bit problematic. This is one of the reasons why people have such a difficult time understanding a lot of the issues that are going on in British Columbia with unceded territories and the questions around pipelines because there are different, in effect and practice branches of leadership in many of these uh, bands, in many of these nations. And I wanna be really, really clear here. It might sound like I'm speaking about First Nations and Indigenous and Métis people as a monolith. That's absolutely not what I'm trying to do here because there's differences across the board. But if you wanna talk about really connecting with Indigenous First Nations, Uh, cultures, then you have to have conversations about the hereditary leadership, because those are the the keepers of the culture in many, many ways. And the fact that Mike Ellis is disregarding all of that existing leadership and choosing only to invoke the products of the Indian Act leadership is really quite problematic. And again, I want to be really clear here. I am not in any way it trying to disrespect or denigrate the elected leadership because there's a lot of people inside of a lot of bands and a lot of nations who recognize this is the only way that we get to have a voice at the table because this is the only thing that these institutions that created the Indian Act will acknowledge so it's a bit of a shit show but if we don't acknowledge that it's a bit of a shit show then we're right back to just doing what we want to do and we get really really close to where maybe instead of governments actually doing consultation are not just using pictures of knives as props they're using other things too now there's a couple of things that we got to tack into the, the end of here because one of the things that followed up after this was a tweet by Premier of Alberta Daniel Smith and to call this tweet uh, insensitive uh, a comms train wreck is uh, is probably a bit of an understand, understatement uh, Daniel Smith tweeted out on January 18th so this is Thursday Alberta is building a network of Ten therapy communities across the province where patients can stay for up to a year receiving therapy and medical treatment, developing skills that will enable them to build a life outside of the drug culture. Uh, And then she quotes an article from the Financial Post. The quote from the Financial Post on the graphic is Alberta is trying a different approach, one focused on helping addicts to get off drugs. The early results seem promising. And then there's a picture of a bunch of people laughing. I don't, I don't know why. I mean, Daniel Smith reportedly wasn't even in Canada when this article was released. So it's certainly not a picture of her and her staff going, aha, our, our, our thing works. It was a choice by the people running her communications to say, Hey, you know what picture would pair well with, we're, we're trying to help addicts getting off drugs. How about everybody just, just laughing? A lot. Peak Alberta. Right there. Moving on from there. We've got... uh, Nope, not that one yet. Okay, maybe it is that one. Let's talk about Tucker. (laughs) I was going to do the kidney thing, but apparently uh, we're skipping the kidney thing. We'll come back to the kidney thing. Uh, Let's talk about Tucker. So, Tucker Carlson is coming to Calgary... Uh, January 24th. And he's also coming to Edmonton on January 24th. And there's a lot of people who've raised a lot of concerns about why is Tucker Carlson coming to Alberta? Because it's Tucker Carlson and that's not great. But here we are. He's coming in just a couple of days. It's it's three days till Tucker Carlson day. But where it gets particularly problem is uh, the, the event in Calgary on the 24th is a lunchtime event. Um, and then the, the event in Edmonton is an evening event and it's, it's just a train wreck of, um, bad and, and dishonesty. Um, the, the lunchtime event is a speech by Tucker Carlson, where he's going to talk about, uh, I don't know the importance of the United States invading Canada. No, wait, he did that one already followed by a Q and a with, (laughs) Brett W. Wilson. And then there's an interview with Daniel Smith. And the question that has yet to be clarified publicly is who is interviewing whom? Because there's no great answer to that either way. Because if Tucker Carlson is interviewing Daniel Smith and she's agreed to do this at a for-profit event, that's not fantastic. And if Daniel Smith... Is interviewing Tucker Carlson and asking Tucker Carlson questions. Uh, that's even worse because how does the premier of Alberta turn into the the hype person for Mister Hatemonger? There's a lot of questions that need to be answered there. Um, so that's the daytime event. We got Brett W. Wilson, we've got Daniel Smith, and we've got Tucker Carlson. The evening event, though, is where things get uh get a little bit more complicated. We're gonna talk about that in just a sec. A lot of people have asked, why is Daniel Smith even doing this event? Why is she uh why why is she agreed? And she has justified it, or her office has justified it, by saying it's a great opportunity to talk about Alberta's uh invest energy. Cause Tucker's got a Big audience, so I'll take every opportunity that I can to talk about Alberta oil and gas, um, which again opens up a whole bunch of really uncomfortable questions. Because one of the first uncomfortable questions has to be: so, like, if if Putin said, "Hey, Danny, wanna wanna come talk to to Mother Russia about Alberta oil and gas?" Would she she take up that that invitation? Where's the where's the moral line? Because according to the official statements that have come from Danny's office, there's not one, which isn't great for the premier of Alberta. But the evening event is where uh, where things get especially spicy. Um, he's 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 going to be having a conversation with Conrad Black and and Rex Murphy. So those are two pretty polarizing figures. Uh, but the the MC of the evening is really where we've got a we've got to land because and I wish I was making this up, but I'm not. It's like they went through who are the most controversial figures that we could possibly involve in this event. Who are the people that are going to make the most heads explode? Let's get them because the MC for the evening is none other than Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. Um guy John Carpe, and they're selling the the tickets out of their donations link, which raises a bunch of questions. The JCCF is a bit of a, a problematic. It's a challenging organization because they are a, a a charity nonprofit, and so when you donate money to the JCCF, you get a tax receipt back. And if you're selling tickets for a hate rally, I don't know, uh, and people are getting tax receipts back, that's kind of gross. But it's uh, it's worth revisiting. A little bit about uh about Mr. Carpe. One of the things that's that's worth remembering about John Carpe, uh, is that he he's not allowed to practice law in Manitoba anymore. And why you might ask, well, let me, let me answer that question for you. The reason that John Carpe isn't allowed to practice law in uh Manitoba anymore is because he was doing the JCCF was involved in this case about the COVID stuffs, and John Carpe was like, haha, I know what. Allegedly will uh, influence this case. What if I hired a private investigator to follow the judge who's trying the case? And if I can catch him not following COVID restrictions, ha ha, which is uh, super illegal and a wild breach of ethics for a a lawyer so so he got he got in some some trouble for that he's not allowed to to practice law in the the province of Manitoba and there's been some speculation that that may may very well extend to uh, Alberta because it turns out as the law Society of Alberta has said is that hey you know what if you if you if you do an illegal lawyer thing in one province there's a chance you might try to do it in another one and so maybe there should be some consequences across across the board um Worth, worth noting that the judge who who heard the the case called hiring a private investigator nothing short of an affront on the administration of justice. But that's not all that, that, that Mr. Carpe is, is known for. He's, he's famous for, he ran for the Wild Rose when, when Danny was the leader. So, you know, they go back. Uh, he's uh, He issued some, he was at a, a Rebel News rally and he issued some some comments uh about the the rainbow flag he said it's not uh it doesn't matter whether it's a hammer or a sickle for communism or whether it's the swastika for nazi germany or whether it's the rainbow flag the underlying thing is a hostility towards individual freedoms so that's not super great um he he actually we had him on the show a few years ago and we gave him the opportunity to apologize and he had a meeting that he had to get to and i wish i was making that up but he he refused to apologize. He, so he thought it was unfortunate that there were some people who were offended, but that's the price of free speech. So personal responsibility, I guess, only extends so far. I don't know. Um, but where it gets really interesting is, as we've talked about on the show many times before, uh, the JCCF, the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, was the recipient of a not insignificant amount of money from, from Daniel Smith during COVID before Daniel Smith decided she was going to run for the UCP leadership race. She decided that she was going to put up a GoFundMe and this GoFundMe was going to be to create enough money to do two things. There's two stated things that she wanted to do. One was she wanted to sue the federal government for not having enough, uh, of the supply of the vaccine that that she wanted. Um, because that's how global supply chains work during a global pandemic. It's, it's not at all. Uh, she dropped that after there was enough supply that, that showed up in Canada. The other thing that she wanted to do was file a lawsuit so that doctors could prescribe things for COVID that aren't for COVID. Because doctors wanted to do that, except no doctors wanted to actually pursue that. She couldn't get any doctors that said, no, I will totally stand up and say, despite the complete lack of evidence for this drug having any kind of efficacy when it comes to COVID, I'm the kind of doctor that just likes to do a Hail Mary. Um, Damn the science. She couldn't get any doctors to stand up and say that, fascinatingly. Um, So she ended up having almost $100,000 that... Was just sitting there. And so what do you do with $100,000 when you're in the UCP leadership race? You donate at least $60,000 to the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. Now we've asked over and over and over again, hey Danny did you get did you get uh, a tax receipt on that $60,000 that you raised for a GoFundMe for a lawsuit that never happened? We can't can't seem to get an answer so I guess that'll just go down as one of the mysteries of all time. But that's Mr. Carpe. He's just the MC. He's not the, the, the main event, the center attraction, the, the Tucker Carlson. So let's take a second talk about why maybe Tucker Carlson could be so, uh, so so problematic. And a lot of it comes down to there's no shortage of places where Tucker Carlson has said really, really horrifying things. But one of the biggest revelations and perhaps one of the things that give should, I don't know, maybe give some people pause as to whether or not he's even worth listening to is the fact that there was a lawsuit in the States around the Dominion voting machines. Dominion was the company that manufactured the voting machines. Fox News went on and on and on about how oh, the Dominion voting machines, they're not secure. They, they could be hacked. They fixed the election. Donald Trump. Should have won. It was a stolen election. January 6th, not that bad. Um, And during the discovery phase of that lawsuit, there were a boatload of text messages that came out that show that not only was there a boatload of Fox, Fox and Friends news personality types who were somehow okay knowing that what they were saying was utter bullshit, but still saying it? We will read a couple of excerpts here from the New York Times. Uh, newly disclosed text messages and testimony from some of the biggest stars and senior executives at Fox News revealed that they privately expressed disbelief about President Donald J. Trump's false claim that the 2020 election was stolen from him, even though the network continued to promote many of those lies on air. Carlson writes of Trump. This is Tucker Carlson talking about Donald Trump. The same Tucker Carlson who was on the air talking about how the election was stolen January 6th. That was just a little picnic. Uh, He's a demonic force, a destroyer, but he's not going to destroy us. I've been thinking about this every day for four years. Addressing Trump's four years as president, Carlson said, We're all pretending that we got a lot to show for it because admitting what a disaster it's been is too tough to digest. But come on, there really isn't an upside to Trump. Again, that's Tucker Carlson talking about Donald Trump. On November 12th, in a text chain with Ms. Ingraham and Mr. Hannity, Mr. Carlson pointed to a tweet in which a Fox reporter, Jackie Heinrich, fact-checked a tweet from Mr. Trump referring to Fox broadcasts and said there was no evidence of voter fraud from Dominion. Please get her fired, Mr. Carlson said. He added, it needs to stop immediately, like tonight. It's immeasurably hurting the company. The stock price is down. Not a joke. So Tucker Carlson knew the Dominion story was BS, and when a Fox News reporter said, hey, it might be BS, Tucker Carlson said, somebody should fire her because stock prices. That's how integrity works. So it should be very clear that Tucker Carlson appears to be somebody who's happy to mislead his audience as long as he's making some money out of it. Now, he was reportedly fired as part of the settlement with uh, Dominion. So part of the agreement that Fox News had with Tucker Carlson was allegedly contingent on Tucker being shown the door. Tucker Carlson was fired from Fox News. But there's a lot of things, even if we just ignore the, the, the tweets and the, the text messages particularly the text messages that came out through this dominion discovery process there's a lot to talk about in regards to things that tucker tom or tucker carlson has just said on the record we're going to run through a few of his greatest hits from a rolling stone article carlson credited white men for creating civilization cuz it was The white folks that made the maths. No, wait, that's not right. And when recording, the Fox host, previously a staunch defender of the war in Iraq, said he felt no sympathy for Iraqis, calling them semi-illiterate primitive monkeys. He went on to say that Afghanistan would never be a civilized country because the people aren't civilized. In December of 2018, Carlson accused immigrants coming to the United States of making the country poorer and dirtier and more divided. Carlson repeatedly warned viewers that Democrats were importing new citizens to replace the disobedient ones. Carlson once likened the Biden's administration immigration policy to eugenics against white people. In the aftermath of a 2019 shooting in El Paso, Walmart, which was carried out by a man looking to target immigrants, Carlson claimed that the concept of white supremacy was a hoax but in its immediate aftermath, Carlson pushed that mail-in voting had contributed to fraud, that dead people had voted for Biden en masse, and had hosted uh, election conspiracy theorists Sidney Powell and Mike Lindell. Regarding the January 6th attack on the Capitol, Carlson claimed that violent protesters who reached the building were orderly and meek. They were not insurrectionists, they were sightseers. In November of 2021, Carlson released a two-part special on Fox streaming service, Fox Nation, titled Patriot Purge. The special argued that January 6th was a false flag attack orchestrated by the government to usher in a purge of Republican voters. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. But this is also the person that Danielle Smith has agreed to sit down with and do an interview or be interviewed by. We're still not sure. In three days. There has to be a line, one would think, in regards to who are the people that you're going to try to sell Alberta's energy energy industry to. And one would think you wouldn't sit down for a jovial conversation with somebody who has repeatedly expressed these views, even though... It's completely up for debate whether or not he actually holds them. He just knows that he can get people to give him a lot of money for saying the most ridiculous, extreme stuff possible. Now, I could probably do another half hour on uh, the problems of, of Tucker Carlson. But, as it turns out, we don't care if this episode gets monetized or not. So we're probably going to get us a, a little copyright flag on, on what we're about to share here. Cause we got two videos that we want to show you where the master himself. Best of the best can't be beat. I miss him so much. I want him to come back. Please come back, John addresses the questions of Tucker Carlson. If you haven't seen it already, it's worth watching the whole thing. We've, we've taken a couple of clips and put together a couple of clips of the the one and only, the great, I would argue the greatest, appearing on the show Crossfire that Tucker Carlson was a host of. This uh, was a little while back. But the one and only, Jon Stewart, sums it up 20 years ago in 2004, about as best as anyone possibly could. We're a debate show. It's like single. No, 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 no. That'd be great. A I would love thirty to see a minutes debate in a twenty-four
2: show. hour day where we have each side on as best. No, we can no, no, get no, those. no. That would be great. And have to, them fight it out. To do a debate would be great, but that's like saying pro wrestling is uh, John, a show about John, athletic John, competition. Sorry. i
0: I think you're a good comedian. I think your lectures are boring. Let me ask you. Let yeah. me ask you a question on the news.
2: Now, this right. is theater. I mean, it's it's it is, obvious. No, no.
0: Is, How old are you? Thirty-five.
2: And you wear a
1: bow
0: tie.
2: Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> so, I do. so this is. No, no, I know, I know. So you're right. Theater. Let me just go now. Come on. And come listen, on. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you're that, not, you're not a smart guy because those are not easy to tie. But the thing difficult. is, <laughs> that this, you're doing theater when you should be doing debate, which would be great. Well, you do No, so it's, it's, it's not, not, honest. What do not honest. What you do it's is not honest. What you do is partisan hackery. Okay, you have ahead. a responsibility to the public discourse. And you, you fail job miserably, school, I think you need to go to one. The, the thing that I want to say is when you have people on for just knee jerk reactionary talk. Well, I thought you were going to be funny. Come on. be No, funny. no, I'm not going to be your monkey. Um, <laughs> go ahead. go ahead. I watch your show every day and it kills me. I can tell you love it's it. It's so, oh, it's so painful to watch. Um, y- you know. Because we need what you do. This is such a great opportunity you have here to actually get politicians really off of their marketing anyway. and strategy. Yeah, it's someone who watches your show and cannot take it anymore. I just can't. What's it like to have dinner with you? It must I'm be excruciating.
1: Me. Do you like lecture people like this? Or do you come over to their house and sit and lecture them and you know they're not doing the right thing, that they're missing their opportunities, evading their responsibilities? If I think they are. <laughs> Look.
2: I would want to eat with you, man. That's horrible. I know, and you won't. But the thing we I want to get to... We did to promise it. naked pictures of the Supreme Yeah, we did. No. Let's get to those. Why Richard, can't, in this book, why can't we just talk? Book. Please, I beg of you guys. Please. I think you, you watch too much Crossfire. But We're going to take a quick no, break. No, 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 no. No, no, hold please. on. We've got, we've got commercials. We're please.
0: Right
1: Next. John please stop.
4: in the rapid fire. Please
0: Hopefully stop. No. I do think you're more fun on your show, uh, just my opinion. Okay, John
1: Stewart
0: goes,
2: one. interesting, You're as
0: big a dick on your show as you are on any show. Yeah, you might watch that clip or listen to that clip and go, ah, but that was 2004. Maybe Tucker's evolved. Maybe Jon Stewart's changed his mind. Fortunately, in 2023, he set the record pretty clear.
4: Because of what you just said, the the malevolence versus the ignorance. Um, there's several examples of you doing that in popular media your famous takedown of Tucker Carlson in which you were self-deprecating you were like look I come on after puppets, Puppet. yeah, you know, yeah. and but you you were in his face and confronting Some of some of the ignorance and some of the evil this has happened with Bill O'Reilly on your new show you call the CEO of shell evil to his face. You say to this man, he says, I expected you to have a black mustache to twirl. You're the villain of the story. It's the first thing you say to the CEO of the show.
2: To, to your point, though, about like a guy like Tucker Carlson, like that's cynical. What he does is, is cynical. Right. And he hides the true motivation for it. And, and that's what I mean by the difference between mm-hmm. uh, well-intentioned, honest brokering and cynical manipulation.
4: Yeah, I definitely put him on the evil side. I wasn't gonna speak for you, but- No, no, no. For me, I, I put him in the- uh, No, no question. I feel like he knows exactly what he's doing and saying. No question. I don't feel like he's ignorant about his messaging and his coding.
2: No, 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 yeah. no. It's all purposeful yeah. and it's marshalling very, very malevolent forces. Yes. No question.
0: There you go. Anybody who knows me knows how much respect I have for Jon Stewart. And when uh, the man has said the thing, the man has said the thing. There's really not that much that you can possibly add to it. So we're gonna leave it there, and we're gonna move on to talk about the other little little bit of uh, of news that came out this this week in regards to the upcoming legislative session. They release a little calendar every every once in a while where they say, "Hey, here's what the plan is. Here's what we're going to do. Um, here's the here's the the score, if you will." Um, and uh, they did that, and it's it's not it's not great. Uh, they're very busy. They're they're very very busy this time around, uh, and there's going to be. Uh, a lot of a lot of things that are happening to give you an idea of how busy they're going to be. We decided to put the legislative calendar from last year up against the legislative calendar from this year to really give you the, the full flavor of just how, uh, different the, the two calendars are. Cause they're, they're very, very, very different. Um, to start with, if we take a look at the 2023 calendar, um, they, they were in session for five weeks. If we if we dare to take a look at the 2024 calendar and we choose to to count up how many how many totally days are how many weeks are they going to be doing the things for? Um, it's it's longer. It's it's 16 weeks. Now we've seen from Danielle Smith cutting the legislation session short, not once but but twice now that. Uh, She's, she's okay with, if, if there's not that much work to do, it doesn't matter if the, the schools have scheduled kids to come in and see how the legislative works, legislature works and how the sausage gets made and all of that. Eh, to hell with all that. I want to I get on my, my vacation time earlier. She has no problems doing that. So the fact that there has been this much time scheduled should strongly indicate how much legislating is going to be going on. Because it certainly appears that there's going to be a lot. And when we take a look at the kind of things that Daniel Smith has said that she's going to be looking at legislating throughout this legislative session, we're talking about multiple Sovereignty Act things on all of the things. Because that's Stephen Gibo. We're talking about the forced treatment. Now, the whole legislative session is going to be starting up pretty quick it's gonna be starting up in March and this is where it's gonna be really important for the, uh, the average Albertan if you will to be paying as much attention as possible and to being as engaged as much as possible because this is a not small legislative agenda that the UCP and Danielle Smith are bringing to the table and it's all going to be going on during an NDP leadership race. Because, as we know, Rachel Notley announced this week that she's going to be stepping down. And we're going to take a couple minutes to, to talk about that a little bit. Because there's some, there's some things that we definitely need to. Talk about a little bit in regards to Rachel Notley stepping down. So, to get that show on the road, Rachel Notley announced not too long ago, just a couple of a couple of days ago, in a in a. One of the most, it happened sooner than a lot of people thought. Everybody was saying, ah, it's going to be late January, early February. There was a lot of speculation in regards to, hey, um, the NDP, there were rumors that the NDP was not insignificantly in debt coming out of the last election, and Rachel was going to stick around until all of that debt was cleared up. Maybe the debt's cleared up. But nonetheless, one way or the other, she announced just a few days ago that uh, that was the end. Of the Rachel Notley era on January 16th, Rachel Notley held a bit of a, a bit of a press conference. We're going to play a few clips.
5: Considered what I believe to be the best interests of our party, our caucus, as well as my own preferences, I'm here today to announce that I will not be leading Alberta's NDP into the next election. I have informed both the senior officers of Alberta's NDP as well as my caucus and staff, that upon the selection of a new leader, I will be stepping down from that role. So
0: there you go. After years in provincial politics, Rachel Notley announced on January 16th that she was going to be stepping down as leader of the NDP. In what was one of the worst kept secrets in Alberta politics, because we've seen a couple of the leadership contenders. Nobody's officially announced yet, but they've announced without officially announcing. We know some of the big names that are that are kicking the tires, and they're kicking pretty hard. Catherine Ganley was released a, a video where she introduces herself, and she talks about all of the things that she, she cares about. We have, uh, Sarah Hoffman, many people are saying is going to be the, the, the natural successor to, to Rachel Notley. There's a lot of speculation that Sarah Hoffman is actually Rachel Notley's preference. Now, of course, Rachel Notley is not likely to endorse any given candidates throughout the, the race because she's going to be staying on as leader up until the race is done. So this is going to unfold in very much the same way that the Jason Kenney leadership race unfolded. Um, by any stretch of the imagination, done with Rachel as of yet. But there were some some questions in regards to, hey, what does this mean for your political future? There's a lot of people who have said, ah, oh, the federal NDP, <clears throat> they've been doing terribly lately. Uh, the, the the current leader of the federal NDP doesn't seem to be resonating. If the, the, the federal NDP seem to be losing ground, they don't seem to be able to to connect with people. How do we how do we turn that ship around? Oh, you know who would be great, Rachel notlaw Notley. Well, Rachel Notley made fairly clear that's not at all
6: the plan. Being vague about, of course, MLA and what's going to happen with that, is in the future, but one thing you're still being relatively vague on it, do you have any interest in any other um, venues, political venues, like federal politics? Does that interest you moving into the federal arena?
5: Absolutely not. I have no intention to pursue uh, a federal uh, role uh, in, in elected politics.
6: So are you leaving politics then altogether? If you stay on as an MLA, but that has a finite turn to it. And are you just leaving politics?
5: I, I am uh, not interested in pursuing federal politics at this time, and that is the answer to that question. Because I noticed some people had that question, and that is the answer to that question.
6: Sorry, federal politics. You can come back in provincial politics at some level then? <laughs> uh
5: no, Graham. I'm I'm uh you know that I I think I've done a, a good amount of time and so I think um uh, uh as I say my focus is on leading the the caucus through this session and supporting the new leader as as that person uh, believes is best. Are you done with elected politics for good? <laughs> Well, I think the key thing is this, I, I have no intention of running federally, uh, and, and I believe I am done uh, elected politics uh, for good, subject to what I've said, which is that uh, I've made no decisions about uh, how long I will stay in my position as the MLA for Edmonton Strathcona.
0: So, she's pretty clear, she's she's done, she's, she's she'll hang on until the end of the leadership race, and maybe she'll stay on as the MLA, but from that comment there at the the end, it seems pretty clear that even that is up for, for some question, because she might just say, you know what, uh, see ya. And you you know, when somebody has dedicated as much time to her, uh, the, the people of Alberta as Rachel Knightley has, like her or not, uh, The the end of the day, anybody who dedicates that much time to public service, anyone who dedicates that much time to public scrutiny, And Lord knows Rachel Notley's been the target for a lot of, not just criticism, but outright hate. People have weaponized her. Certain uh, rebellious uh, outlets, let's go with, without naming any names, because they're litigious as all hell. I've heard, allegedly. I don't know. Um, But... Uh, there's been a lot of people who have made it made a pretty big target of Rachel Notley. So it's entirely understandable that she would say, Hey, you know what? Um, I'm I'm good. I'm done. It's it's I'm throwing the torch. May the next person pick it up and run with it. But one of the big questions that a lot of people have been speculating on is, well, what are the rules for this leadership race? She said it's happening. Leadership race is coming. What are we looking at here? We've we've got uh, Catherine Gannley, we've got Sarah Hoffman, we've got David Shepard, we've got a couple other names floating around as as maybes. Uh now, of course, nobody's officially said, but horse kept secrets and all that. Uh so there's people who are who are definitely interested. What's this race gonna look like? And obviously the question is how what is are the what are the rules gonna be? A lot of people know that when you have a leadership race, it is you got to choose a new leader, and that's important and everything. But there's also some other core goals that exist with the leadership race. One of them is you're looking to expand the membership, which means you have to sell memberships. That's one of the things that historically determines whether or not that candidate is going to be able to campaign. They're going to be able to get people to show up for them. Can they sell the memberships? that's just a part of what a leadership race is. And so there's questions about well what if what if people are trying to sell memberships.
5: I ask you about a more detailed question. We're going to see a leadership race. We haven't seen any details or decisions from the party yet. How would you like to see that leadership race play out? What kind of length do you want it, do, is ideal to you to see a, a fair race? what kind of rules should be imposed in terms of who can purchase a membership and vote in that race today, for example, Uh, what kind of parameters do you want to see so that that race is fair and doesn't get sabotaged by perhaps somebody from outside of the (laughs) park? So, uh, you know, listen, this this is a matter that will be uh, robustly discovered or discussed uh, by our provincial council. They are who have the authority. Uh, to make those decisions and, and so um, it really does come to the party, uh, the party uh, executive and then the provincial council to make decisions around many of the matters that you've just identified. I think obviously uh, it, it, what everybody will want to see is that we have a transparent process uh, that uh, has the trust and integrity of uh, the, the people who are involved in it. Um, but ultimately the way you secure that is you, you respect the process, which is that provincial council will make that decision.
0: So to be clear, and we've done some digging, there's a lot of folks who were saying, Oh, uh, you have to have owned a membership as of January 16th. There's no evidence of that. And as Rachel Notley herself said there, there's rules for the leadership race that need to be determined by the NDP's provincial council. So, obviously, those rules have not been publicly released, they haven't been set yet. So everybody who's taking comfort in the notion that, no, it's okay, it has to be people who own their membership as of today, that's not necessarily true at all. In fact, there is no evidence that we've been able to find that that actually will be true. Because, like I said, one of the major points Of having a leadership race is building the memberships, selling the memberships, getting the data, doing the fundraising, all of those things. And if you're just preaching to the established choir, there's no opportunity for any kind of growth. To say nothing of the fact, it doesn't allow people to get engaged with the process. Because if that were true and you're not already a card-carrying NDP member, then you've got no reason to be. Because you won't be able to vote in the election. So for all the people out there who are saying, you know what? It's if you if you it's it's the membership as of January sixteenth. We're safe. We're secure. David Parker and Take Back Alberta, who that clip was so clearly referring to, can't touch us. Well, Rachel only said it herself. That'll be up to the provincial council. But Mr. Parker didn't take very long to uh, to get to get involved to to be his typical Parker-esque self. Same day, shortly after Rachel Antley's announcement, as predicted, Rachel Antley has resigned as leader of the NDP. They will be now going into a leadership race. Take back Alberta! will be traveling the province in the coming months, encouraging people to buy memberships of the NDP and make their voices heard. Democracy is the path out of this mess. When the NDP cancel their leadership race, we will know they no longer believe in democracy. Hashtag we are coming. So pretty on brand bombastic from the beard mr parker but that was only the the first the first shot in the the twitter war of words that came to came to be which <laughs> You know, we've we've talked to a couple of folks who who run comms uh, and do political strategy that are that are friends of the show just to make sure that we're not reading this all wrong. And everybody's kind of been like, "Yeah, that was a shit show." So let's talk about the the shit show that occurred because David Parker tweeted out a little bit later, "It's time to take back the Alberta NDP," and that's where things got really uh, interesting because podcast host, political strategist, and other things, Stephen Carter retweeted David Parker and said, bring it, time to finally get my shot against you should be easy, which has some pretty fascinating implications, because here's David Parker saying, I'm going to get involved in the NDP leadership race, and here's Stephen Carter appearing to imply I'm already involved in the leadership race. It's going to be the battle of Stephen Carter versus David Parker. Parker responded by saying, I've waited a long time to prove what a political loser you are. This will be glorious. So already the discourse surrounding the NDP leadership race is of the highest quality and and caliber. But it didn't stop there because David Parker... Uh, The next day tweeted out, so at Carter AB, you're going to be managing Thomas Lukasik's campaign. I wonder how the rank and file of the NDP will feel about a former PC cabinet minister becoming their leader. And of course, you know what's coming next. Stephen Carter then retweeted that and said, let's be clear, Davey. I'm not running that campaign. Which, again, has some interesting implications. You can't just make shit up. If you insist on doing so, I'll be forced to disclose what I know about you and your relations with that. And then it's a... a I believe it's a, a goat emoji. I'm not sure. Don't make me do it, Dave. Which is, of course, a uh, a, a somewhat um, interesting phrasing. Because don't make me do it, and then... Uh, David Parker comes back. He didn't, we haven't been able to see that he did came back at anything, but if he did come back, was like, I never did anything with that goat. Then Stephen Carter would then say, Oh, you know what? You're right. And escape legal repercussions from Mr. Mr. Parker. But this is where it gets really bizarre. Because the leadership race hasn't even started yet. We've got David Parker saying that he's gonna be involved and trying to sell memberships for the NDP. And then we've got Stephen Carter, who seems to be implying that he's gonna be heavily involved in the the leadership race, and he's gonna take his shot back against David Parker. And you have to wonder if any of this is true, first of all, but if it is true, you have to wonder what the 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 campaign that Stephen Carter's working on, you know, the, the the candidate that Stephen Carter's working with is thinking, because now their whole campaign has just become not about whether or not uh, Rocky is the best candidate or Sarah's the best candidate or Catherine's the best candidate or, or David's the best candidate or even Gil. Who knows? It's not about that anymore. It's Stephen Carter's fighting back against... David Parker and where it gets particularly interesting is I mean this is not a huge shock for either of these guys David Parker has been his social media presence has been getting increasingly volatile it's been getting increasingly hyperbolic it seems to just be what he what he does now is he says the most ignorant thing that he possibly can we'll get to that in a little bit Um but it's worth noting that that Mr. Carter is is no stranger to the inflammatory tweet either. he was the chief of staff to Daniel Smith herself, no less, for uh, from from what we could say ab- about a whole month uh, before he left the role. and it was allegedly we're're we're referring heavily, by the way, to the the article here uh, from the sprawl. And I just want to, before I get into this, I want to just say, if you don't follow the Sprawl, if you don't support the Sprawl, even if you don't live in Calgary, I mean, the Sprawl tends to be fairly Calgary-centric, but they do such amazing work and they do such slow-burn, long-form journalism. If you live in Calgary, the, the way that they cover municipal issues is second to none. And if you live... In the the province, they have done some incredible stories on provincial issues, issues that affect the whole province. They did an incredible uh, piece on Jason Kenny in the run-up to the 2019 election. And then they also did this story on Stephen Carter, where they ran through Mr. Carter's entire uh, legacy. So like I said, he was chief of staff to Daniel Smith for about a month before he left the role, allegedly due to tweets uh, where he was uh, mocking at Stelmac's accent. Um, he resigned as chief of staff a few days after the Stelmac tweets uh, and was only a month after Smith had uh, hired him. Ostensibly the reason was to protect Smith and the party from his debt crisis, um, He said he could quit before, or say he said he quit before they could fire him. He also worked for the mayor Nenshi, the head Nenshi, mayoral campaign, and the quote from the sprawl on on that campaign is: "Nenshi didn't have any loyalty because he didn't recognize my contributions." He then went through a series of roles before he was chief of staff with Allison Redford, and that one also didn't last super long, but it's one of the ones that got a lot of attention because he got a severance role for $130,000. He ran Jody Gondek's campaign and was her chief of staff after the municipal election for 104 days before he was uh, let go. And again, Given one hundred and four, not one hundred and thirty, this time you only got one hundred and four thousand uh, dollars, one hundred four thousand one hundred sixty-six dollars and sixty-five cents, and I love that the sprawl reported that specific number. Um, he's he's a uh, the, the 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 headline of the story. I'm a bad boy. The the Stephen Carter story. It's available as both podcast. And uh, as the the print version, they don't even know that we're talking about it tonight. This is not a plug. This is just watching Stephen Carter light his hair on fire with David Parker, um, and defining the NDP one of the NDP leadership candidates apparently as being the the, the Stephen Carter candidate is just it, it, it brought back it brought back memories. But we thought we'd throw a couple of examples up of, of uh, some of the tweets that these these two gentlemen, these two uh, figures of provincial politics, have have said over the year to illustrate that that either of them getting combative on the Twitter machine is is not a particularly new thing. We can go back to twenty twenty two, January first, where uh, Drew Farrell was talking about the the the, the problems of uh, homeless, houseless people in the cold and expressing frustration. There were a lot of people who were expressing frustration at this time because the city of Calgary made the decision that they were going to kick people out of shelters, or out of the the bus shelters and out of the C-train stations. Stephen Carter responded by saying, or they could go to the shelters. Currently, every shelter has open spaces. Which is, you know, probably fits in well with the current provincial government. I don't know. It seems like maybe when you have the same line as uh, Jason Nixon. That's just a a heck of a coincidence. But uh, David Parker! I mean, there's so much to choose from with David Parker. We decided to go with his recent one from uh, January 20th, where he tweeted out, after reading this poster, I have determined that whiteness is awesome. And it's a poster that was published by the NAAHC, Uh, to talk about aspects and assumptions of whiteness and white culture in the United States. So these are things that people perceive that aren't necessarily, and in some cases certainly aren't true, or shouldn't be, or shouldn't be defining characteristics of white culture, but they're things that a lot of people seem to believe. Uh, Rugged individualism, the individual is the primary unit, self-reliance, uh, you get what you deserve. The The family structure. The husband is the breadwinner and the head of the household. The wife is the homemaker and subordinate to, to the husband. Worth mentioning at this point that uh, Mr. Parker is, in fact, married, so that's cool. Um, as he says that he loves the the, the poster so, so much um, history based on northern European immigrants experience in the United States heavy focus on the British Empire the primacy of western Greek Roman and Judeo-Christian tradition the Protestant work ethic hard work is the key to success work before play if you didn't meet your goals you didn't work hard enough so there's there's lots to talk about in regards to the, the the social media history of of these two combatants in the NDP leadership race. But before we uh, we leave the, the the Parker piece alone, there was another development that occurred with David Parker and uh, and and Take Back Alberta this week. So the first piece that we got to talk about, kind of, we go back to November, November 23rd. Press Progress released a story where they said Elections Alberta is looking in to take back Alberta's finances and donations. The, the group's former CFO, and I get to say it. Are you ready, Marco van Hugendos? Did an interview. Uh, the TBA founder, David Parker, also had his posting privileges in the group's Telegram channel revoked. They had a whole little. Take Back Alberta, a little mini civil war thing going on. They've apparently kind of, sort of made up. Uh, They're at least civil now, allegedly. But uh, David Parker, he didn't like that story from Press Progress. He came out with this this little response. I spoke with Elections Alberta today. We are not being audited, nor are we facing an audit. Take Back Alberta is up to date on all of our elections filings. Except... doesn't quite look like it worked out quite that way. In a story from independent journalist Jeremy Appel, who we're told Stephen Carter holds an extremely high regard, uh, it turns out Take Back Alberta is actually refusing to cooperate with an elections Alberta investigation. Mr. Appel listened to uh, and observed a extensive emergency meeting of the, the Take Back Alberta Belts Society Uh, wherein the David Parker said, Hey, uh, so we have these 24, uh, complaints that have been made to elections, Alberta, and we, we need help. Please help us. Um, but his, again, given his historically bombastic approach, his, his public face was a little bit different, but it also got, got pretty awesome because he released a statement saying, to be clear... Uh, On on Twitter, I'm calling Elections Alberta a totally corrupt organization. Elections Alberta is in the back pocket of the unions. Elections Alberta attempted to defraud the Alberta voting public out of fair elections. They've used their position to further their partisan ideological agenda. Elections Alberta is working against its mandate of promoting democratic involvement as it is in fact discouraging democratic engagement that Elections Alberta is actively Encouraging non-citizens to vote, which is another form of voter fraud. Elections Alberta has decreased trust in the transparency and integrity of our institutions by refusing to address real concerns. And it only took about a day before the community notes feature kicked in readers added context they thought people might want to know none of these claims are true elections alberta is independent nonpartisan office of the legislative assembly with receipts only canadian citizens and residents of alberta are eligible to vote in provincial and municipal elections with receipts so that's 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 super super fun but as easy as it is to 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 make fun of, of Mr. Parker. And it is so, so, so easy to make jokes at Mr. Parker's expense. Mostly because he makes it that way. It's important to realize that he's still good at what he does. There is a base of people that buy what he's selling. There's a reason why Tucker Carlson is coming to Edmonton and to Calgary. There's a reason why Daniel Smith has agreed to appear on stage with Tucker Carlson. And it's not because Tucker Carlson is bringing a nuanced and complex view of the world and Daniel Smith... Legitimately believes that Tucker Carlson is a, is an individual who has significant impact and influence on the U.S. economy. It's none of that. It's theater, and it's theater for a very specific audience. But COVID nineteen left that specific audience highly, highly engaged and highly susceptible to misinformation and disinformation. David Parker knows how to weaponize confirmation bias. He knows how to weaponize the victim complex. He's very very good at it. He's good he's good enough at it that he was able to push Daniel Smith from a failed radio host who had unhinged rants on her own little web series to being premier of the province of Alberta and as easy as it is to make fun of David Parker it's important to remember that he has made it clear that as much as the NDP Leadership race is going to be something for him to to mess with and have some fun with I don't think anybody actually believes that David Parker believes that he's going to be able to have Any influence whatsoever on the NDP leadership race First of all because those candidates are going to sell tons of memberships They know the people to talk to they've already started All of those machinations are already in place He's not going to be able to influence the outcome of the NDP leadership race. This is not. What he is going to be able to do is weaponize it. And what he is going to be able to do is continue to build his network. And so when it comes time for him to pursue his stated goal, which is his primary mission, to take over school boards across the province of Alberta, He'll have even more resources to do it with. He'll have identified even more people who can be radicalized and weaponized to do it with. That's what should be scaring everybody about David Parker. Because as much as he is increasingly, apparently, you choosing to use and let's go with unhinged rhetoric on social media, at the end of the day... He's one of the biggest reasons why Daniel Smith is currently the premier of Alberta. And to pretend that that's not a threat puts Alberta in the same position it was in when Daniel Smith was just a crackpot former radio host who said ridiculous conspiracy theories on the internet. We got two more topics that we're gonna hit on before we open it up to the, the call-in section. And then we're gonna call it a night. We're gonna do we're gonna do this one first. Because this was this came out just before we went to air, so we kind of threw together a, a graphic. But going back to the Tucker Carlson piece, this has gotta be like if this is how the NDP are going to choose to message during the The leadership race and for the next two and a half years, boy, this province is in trouble because they sent out a a fundraising email that is basically like, let's take all of the things and just put it into a hopper and mix it all up and see what comes out. Uh, Every time I get my grocery receipt, I do a double take. Costs are out of control. Of course, Daniel Smith has no plans to offer hardworking families relief. Instead, she continues to push the extremist agenda of her dark money donors. So we're not seeing any kind of hyperbolic rhetoric going on here at all. Even more telling. She'll be tearing a Calgary stage with American hate monger Tucker Carlson in less than a week's time. We can't let this happen. Will you help stop it? chip in by January 23rd to help send a message, Tucker Carlson's toxic views don't belong here, because it's the NDP's protests through fundraising that are going to stop Tucker Carlson for taking the stage. Like, it's just ridiculous. With each passing day, the UCP's priorities become more alarming, cutting our pensions, destroying our parks, dismantling our healthcare system, and now this? By participating in Carlson's extremist roadshow on the 24th, Daniel Smith is openly condemning hateful and harmful rhetoric. These views do not represent us, and we can't allow them to gain a foothold. This movement can achieve incredible results when we speak together with one voice. Tell Tucker Carlson he's not welcome in this province. Make a donation today. <laughs> it's just like, what are all of the things that we can... What's, all the, what's the most recent Leger poll that we've got out here? And then let's tell people that if they give us money, we can stop Tucker Carlson. It's just so silly that we had to, we had to, we had to make sure that we, we hit on it. But! Before we throw it to the call-in section. Twas but almost a year ago that we did a special little episode, a one-off. was a, it was a, a little bit of a deep dive, if you will, on so uh, a player in the the Canadian media landscape we're talking of course about our true North special where we took a look at the history of true North we took a look at the 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 fact that true North exists in complicated ways and they some people say uh, have uh, managed to uh, I've some people say, usurp uh, a charity that was designed to support new immigrants to Canada. They, they took that over and they turned that into their news media empire despite operating as a charity. It's almost as if they did that specifically so they could get all the advantages of being a charity and issue charitable receipts, but still pursue a, a, a media news agenda. We talked about the, the history the the founder of of True North and how she worked with Sun Media um, and also other people. It's a good episode. We go through oh, there's a lot of Canadiana media history that's involved in this episode. We took a trip to the the head office of of True North. We knocked on their door and no one no one answered. Probably because it's a post office box in a UPS store in downtown Calgary. the the headquarters of of True North is. Um, It it did well. That little episode did. It's one of our most listened to episodes of the year. I had a lot of fun with it. We made some jokes. We had some laughs. It was all good. The poor folks at the UPS store were so, so, so confused what was going on. Um, We talked about the packs, the multiple packs that are also run out of the same UPS store. We talked about the connections between Rob Anderson and 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 this UPS store it's it's just fascinating how so much of the conservative world operates out of this this little UPS store but here's the thing with that episode it's been pinned on our our Twitter profile for well, let's let's take a look here we posted it on February 3rd of of last year 2023 it's been pinned for an awfully long time and it's been suggested that uh, perhaps around the time of February 3rd, we should, uh, we should maybe update that, that pin tweet. We should maybe revisit that, that formula. So we're going to. In just a couple of weeks. And it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited. All of that being said, that is our scheduled content for the the, the show. Now we're going to throw it to the, the call-in section, but before I do, as I allow our callers to, to queue up on the Twitter spaces again, if you're in the chat, if you're watching on the, the YouTubes or the Facebooks or anything like that, and, and you take issue or have take umbrage with anything that, that we've presented tonight, then hop on over to Twitter spaces and tell us how terrible we are, uh, because we don't really police it. All that much we don't scre- we don't pre we don't have the resources to pre-screen. So if you know, as long as you don't say anything hate speechy, everybody's allowed to to come on. We even had Spider Man on once; it was delightful. But uh, we're gonna throw to that in just a minute. But before we do. Um want to take a second to remind everybody that if you appreciate the kind of content that we're trying to produce here at The Breakdown, we'd love nothing more than if you signed up to be one of our Patreon sponsors at our Patreon site at www.patreon.com slash TheBreakdownAB where for just the price of a a fancy cup of coffee, you can help us continue to produce the kind of content that we do and continue to file the FOIPs that we do and all of those other things. So you should visit that website. And if you can't, we get it. Times are tough. There's a lot of people. Things are very tight. That's okay. If if you can't make that happen, like and share. Smash that subscribe button as the kids say. And uh, there's that that plug out of the way. So all of that being said, looks like we got somebody new. Uh, I'm intrigued. We'll see how this goes. So we're, we got two of our, our regular folks in the queue but we also have somebody new. So I'm going to add uh, Trivial Punk in as, uh, as a speaker here, and hopefully, it's always a bit of an adventure with the, the new speakers because sometimes they know that they got to hit the little unmute button in the bottom left-hand corner. Sometimes they don't. Hopefully, they do. Trivial punk, what's going on tonight?
6: Hi, uh, I just wanted to stop by and, and give a shout out to some of my favorite NDP leaders in the leadership race.
0: Yeah, by all means, if you got if you got a list of names,
6: sure do. I got Janice Irwin. She's been a strong supporter of LGBTQ rights the entire time I've known her. Uh, uh, David Shepard, uh, he's defended, uh, the healthcare industry as, uh, or not the healthcare industry, but our public healthcare system that looks after all of our citizens and Sarah Hoffman, uh, who has gone out of her way to try to include indigenous history in the, uh, Alberta curriculum. And all three of them have been just going hard on this pension thing. So I just, I would love to give a shout out to them.
0: If you, if you had to choose one.
6: Oh, uh. Oh, man, that's difficult. It's going to be come down to Janice Irwin and Sarah Hoffman. Janice sends me a card every year, and Sarah just, like, we really need to know about Indigenous history. I'm going to go with Sarah Hoffman, but go with that. Oh, duh. they're all good. And and one thing, can I ask you a question?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
6: absolutely. Have you been following Take Back Alberta and, like, the weird money trail? Yes. <laughs> okay, because they're going under they, – apparently they're under investigation with Elections Alberta. And like, we have a massive impact on our our elections.
0: I mean, when you ta- when you start to take a look at uh, Take Back Alberta's uh, financial history, one of the things that gets really interesting really quickly is that it gets convoluted very quickly. I mean, the recent stuff with Elections Alberta is really quite interesting, and it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, because there are some uh, pretty interesting legal implications from what's been made publicly available by David Parker, but David Parker also knows that deception has its place. So how much of the, the stuff from David Parker is actually accurate? Don't actually know. But even going back to the, the, the beginning of the, the Take Back Alberta experience, one of the fascinating things when you start to talk about how grassroots it really is, is when you go back to the original versions of their website, a lot of them referred back to an organization called the Pacific Prosperity Network. I hope I'm getting that name right. Uh, and that was actually an organization that was created to try to influence the municipal elections in the, the, the West Coast area. So it was kind of like the the beta testing ground for a lot of the tactics that were were used and are continuing to be used by Take Back Alberta. But what's really wild about it, because there's always, you know, it's like we talk about the children's Tylenol. We got to talk about Dr. Oz's family for some reason. Well, if we're going to talk about the Take Back Alberta and the Pacific Prosperity Network, we apparently have to talk about the founder of Lululemon. So, yeah, man, I, I hear what you're saying Their Their financial trail and their whole history Uh, is, is pretty, is, is, is pretty wild. So, yeah.
6: Thanks very much. I love the show. Thanks, man.
0: Appreciate that. All right. So that was Trivial Punk's first time calling in. Thanks for, for calling in, weighing in there, Trivial Punk. We're going to go to, uh, Chris next, who had one of my favorite tweets of the, the, the week, uh, with a with a graphic on Tucker and Carpe Chris
1: what's going on tonight actually if I can talk about something you mentioned at the top of the show I have a couple quick notes um, yeah, yeah. you had mentioned the Edmonton uh, encampment sweeps especially how uh, uh, they've been accelerating that to the point where they're not even giving any notices they're just clearing you know 20 minutes gone an entire encampment um, yeah. I I go Take a lot of transit i spent a lot of time downtown just because you know it's, it's what i like to do especially on weekends and you know i've spent a lot of time in the past you know six seven months going up and down river valley throughout a lot of the city and as a side comment i've ne- I, i'm sure mike ellis isn't entirely wrong but i can't imagine being like oh the, you know you have to pay to walk through a bridge like if, if whatever he's hearing has to be the smallest example of that but anyway um i go back to my point to say that you can tell the encampment sweeps have happened the people are everywhere they're and and, and i this is not a, an, an indictment of the people who i'm mentioning i'm simply mentioning the point that our unhoused brothers and sisters right now they're you know they're they're taking shelter in our you know in the transit system on they're they're half asleep on the train they're they're you know sitting in uh, uh, different parts of the city they're just trying to stay warm and and it blows my mind that the one thing they had where they could just sit down and, ha- and and I'm not saying that encampments are good or whatever but I'm saying at least they had something that was theirs that was their own space now they're being forced to ride the trains just to stay warm like it just you you see the effects of the decisions that people in power make, and and I'm not trying to again. I'm not saying this is making indictment on, on those people. I'm saying it's an indictment on our system that we're not housing these people and getting them safe. Yeah,
0: I agree with you 100%. Man, no. um,
1: my other couple quick notes. Uh, I, you heard about the pension? Um, how the numbers of support are following, particularly with the UCP uh, base. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, some people, including Max Fawcett, he posted things thing saying uh, AP, APP equals DOA. And I, I honestly think that they're going to try and restart the campaign sooner than we were anticipating. I think th- th- as much as we would like to pretend that, oh, you know, they're doing this purely for politics. I think uh, the the pension plan is as much an ideological thing. As part of that, you know, uh, firewall letter, Alberta first mindset, it's it's in ingra- the pension plan, the, the Alberta pension plan is ingrained in that ideology. So I think with the numbers falling before they're saying, oh, yeah, you know, the we're not going to uh, have the pa- campaign until uh, we get the number back. It sounds I could easily see them just starting up the engagement again and saying, oh, we're just doing engagement until we get the number. You know, it, it doesn't mean they they have to stop engagement. So I think people are saying it's dead on arrival. It, it the pension plan was dead on arrival in September when they first announced it, but they went ahead anyway.
0: Yeah, um, I, I don't disagree with anything you're saying. <laughs> uh, apparently, as as just an aside, the the chat is blowing up. Apparently, there's no audio from our callers. Tonight on the the YouTubes and the 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 Facebooks, so I'm not sure what's going on there. We will make sure that the audio gets mixed in because it's for sure being recorded on the Twitter Spaces. Yeah, I was going to uh, say I,
1: I was watching you on YouTube, but then I cut to tw- uh, the Twitter Space, and so I didn't catch that.
0: Yeah, it's weird. It's all everything showing is working on on our end, so I have no idea what's what's happening there. Um, but uh, yeah. we well, if we can we can get that sorted in for anybody who we're going to keep the call in section going. If you're, if you're not able to hear it, then hop onto the Twitter spaces. And if, uh, if push comes to shove, we'll just uh, pull the audio off the Twitter spaces and and bring it back into, so everybody can hear it on the podcast side. So I give everybody, everybody who's here on the YouTubes, uh, the the video will be reposted with all the audio in there.
1: Yay. It's, it's better than what we would expect from other YouTube uh, channels. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. (laughs)
0: Well, see, here's the thing, though, is like, I, I think I can speak for everybody here at the show. When, when I say that the the call-in stuffs and hearing everybody's different perspective and certainly all the stories that everybody has, has shared over the, the chunk of time that we've been doing this, um, that, is, that is a huge re- part of the reason why we do this. So
1: okay.
0: we'll absolutely get this sorted out in
1: the, the post-production, as it were. Totally. Uh, I just have one more quick point, and then I'll bounce out. Um, uh, so a couple days ago, I think it was Thursday, I went and I jumped in uh, discreetly onto a uh, Layton Gray's uh, great matter Twitter space. Uh, he's a lawyer. Uh, he is actually now the representation for TBA in this whole uh, elections Alberta thing. Okay. And um, he's he's had his own little history in Alberta. He went and he used to be, uh, I forget what his p- specific position was. He ended up having some letter come out that uh, showed his position on COVID or something, and he ended up losing a job. Anyway, I mentioned him because during this Twitter space, and David Parker is very active on this. He's showed up on the podcast more than once. This is like one of his big meet-out places where people of the same ideology meet up. Ah, uh, they, they they were talking their usual right wing topics, and I'm not going to go in further about that. It was some interesting stuff, <clears throat> but they did have a point where uh, Layden Gray goes and he says, "Well, I don't understand why we're we're trying to do a referendum. We should just go ahead with the pension plan." That's not great. No, and and again, he is the legal representation, not only is he the legal representation for TBA, but he's also someone who is both equal to Parker in the sense of people listen to him, people watch him, people talk, you know, pay attention to what he has to say. So he he's a, he's a person who is represent like respected in this community. He's someone who David Parker talks to and is on shows with. So I think uh, that that's why I'm so convinced that the pension plan isn't something that's just going to go away. I think it's it's ingrained into the ideological foundation of, of this movement, and so that's where I honestly I, I I can't see this being the thing that they decide to let go. I don't know maybe, maybe I'm wrong but
0: it'll be interesting to see I mean there was some some recent can I mention something oh sure pop in there
6: okay uh, I just wanted to mention a lot of what these things have in common is separatism keep yeah. that in yes. mind right. yes
0: yeah um I mean the thing the thing that I would say there is like the recent Leger polling has shown that if anything the support for the idea has has
1: dropped um that's why I think they're going to do it, because if it's dropping, they're going to panic, and it's going to force their hand.
0: Oh, it's going to, It'll be a route, and it'll be the end of Daniel Smith's leadership.
1: It wouldn't be the first time she made a bad move.
0: <laughs> I mean, we have spent a lot of time talking about children's uh, painkillers and fever medications, so that's entirely within the, the realm of possibility.
1: <laughs> Even walking across the aisle, I mean... I, 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 Yes, we have seen a year where she's done amazing political machinations just by either avoiding talking about things, staying out of the camera or when she's on camera staying on message. Yeah. I think this is the thing that pushes her out of that and makes her talk about things that people are uncomfortable with. Maybe I'm, again, I could be wrong. I just I feel like this is that one move where it's like it it's going to still con- again, especially with the NDP and other movements talking about this issue, it's not a topic that's just going to go yeah. away
0: but I don't think I, I it's, it would be fascinating to see. I think that they're going to, they're going to, I suspect what will probably happen with the pension is they will, uh, they will try to continue to build up the support that they're very clearly trying to build up with, uh, in Edmonton. And I mean, a lot of, I know a lot of people look at Edmonton as kind of being the, you know, fortress NDP, but it's only been that way for about 10, less than 10 years. um, and the reality is, you take a look at how many different places that they're they're trying to pursue uh, policies in Edmonton. I mean, they're talking about the the crime, they're talking about the homelessness and the houselessness. They're they're focusing a lot of their energies on Edmonton. So I suspect what they're probably going to continue to try to do is find inroads into Edmonton, and then depending on the 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 leadership candidate that comes out of this NDP leadership race. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be an all or nothing type situation because if they, if the NDP bring in somebody who isn't able to go toe to toe with Daniel Smith, then they're going to have some very, very real problems. Um, and it's going to be fascinating to see how that, that plays out. I don't, I don't know how it's going to, going to work. Um, because if the UCP continue to, to hammer on Edmonton for a look at how great we are in safety and security and all of that, and the NDP elect a leader that can't um, go toe to toe with Smith, Fortress Edmonton is going to, you know, you take a look at the, the voting history for Edmonton, it has not always been NDP and it can go very easily back to not being NDP without too much work. Uh, particularly if the NDP continue to send out Fundraising emails like the one that I read earlier
1: I hear you there Thanks for having me on
0: Yeah thanks Chris I'm going to bring in uh, Our next speaker We've got Progressive Albertan um, You know here I am making fun of the NDP comms And we apparently can't get our audio working for the call in so uh, uh, I'm going to make that joke myself first But Progressive Alberton, what's going on tonight uh, Hi
7: Hey, uh, I just want to talk about electoral redistribution. Because, um, okay. you know, uh, on the Elections Alberta website, it says electoral re-di- redistribution is going to be coming soon. You know, I could see Calgary, Edmonton gain a few ridings. But ultimately, it's still a disproportional system. Um, first past the post, voting is still disproportional. Um, well, the one thing is when you vote for another party you know, it's not gonna get elected for one thing. And, uh, and uh, in rural Alberta, the NDP don't really succeed. And a proportional system would allow um, not just uh, like a 100% urban, but you know, a mix of urban and rural NDP, as well as same for the UCP and maybe other parties coming into the legislature, which is good ultimately for uh, the legislative system.
0: I don't think anyone would argue that the 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 reality of a proportional representation system isn't uh, a good thing. I mean, it's 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 very clearly in many ways uh, there's a lot of benefits to a proportional representation system. But the problem with a proportional representation system is that it benefits the people and not the politicians. So as we saw with the the liberals, you know, they were all like, "Oh, we're going to bring in proportional representation," and then they got elected and they went. Or we maybe just this this power's nice. We like this. we'll 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 keep doing Absolutely. this. so the the challenge is, and this is one of the reasons why I liked you know Jordan Wilkie with the 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 Green Party in the last
7: provincial election, they didn't get very much much I mean, third, probably I think under ten thousand votes at best, yeah, but their whole platform was,
0: hey, uh, if you vote for the Green Party we'll bring in proportional representation and then we'll immediately hold an election. Uh, They had positions on a lot of other issues that about Albertans were concerned about, but the fact that they were willing to make that commitment, I I, I respected the stones on that. Um, I don't think that it's, it's going to, going to happen anytime soon, if ever, because the problem is, is that, you know, as the saying goes, power corrupts. And that's true. You get people in, in who have the best of intentions, uh, and then they just don't get it done.
7: Yeah, and another thing we should look at is in the electoral redistribution: is the ridings in Calgary and in northern Alberta? Because if you see a riding like Lesser Slave Lake, twenty thousand people, well, uh, you know, it should be amalgamated with another riding in northern Alberta to make it equal to Calgary, because a Calgary riding like Calgary Mountain has forty thousand people, which is which is not proportional at all. And, and I think the provincial average is what? 40,000, 45,000, 35,000, plus or minus 10%. But, you know, riding, let's say, uh, I think maybe, uh, I can't remember, probably Calgary Southeast, 45, 50,000 people, that is not proportional. And Edmonton South, you know, same thing, not proportional. And, you know, maybe you'll see a lot of those northern Alberta ridings amalgamated together and, you know, more Calgary and Edmonton ridings created to uh, better fix the disproportionate system. And I think Calgary and Edmonton seen a lot of growth since the last um, redistribution of electoral districts. Ooh.
0: I mean, it'll be it'll be interesting because, I mean, the way that the, the, the rules work for the, the redistribution is that we still have to have the same number of constituencies. So the the number of ridings or constituencies isn't gonna change. Um, the, the other piece that gets to be particularly important is while they, you know, ideally in, in everybody's head, it should be the same number of people equal the same number of MLAs. But the reality is, is that they have all kinds of fascinating little rules in regards to natural barriers and natural lines um and you know where can you cross those and and everything like i'll i'll use my constituency that i live in as an example um there was a lot of uproar when this constituency was created because a lot of people said hey you know if you take a look at this side of deerfoot it uses completely different infrastructure it uses completely different transit. It has completely different issues when you compare it to that side of Deerfoot that you've now paired us with that again, uses completely different infrastructure. It has completely different issues. Why are you mashing these two together as, as one big constituency? And, you know, there's a lot of people who said, well, political expediency is a really good answer. Um, but that's the, that's the reality of it. So there's the, The challenge of the, the, I don't think we're going to see any major changes to the, the, the map. They tend to make very, very small changes. Um, and it's, it's being done by people who, you know, it's, it's bipartisan, if you will, but, uh, it's being done by people who have a vested interest in, in the least amount of change possible. Um, and his formulas and junk. I, 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 we, we took a look at this a while back, and it was, it, it, turns into a. Well, here's what the justifications that are publicly offered are, and here's what the backrooms discussions are, and I mean, I think even Mr. We, we touched on it with Thomas LaCasick, uh, and the amount of bargaining that goes on between current MLAs and the people on the committee, uh, it, it's,
7: it's politics, man. Yeah, and uh, you, you know in the electoral redistribution, you should see you know keep a close eye on Danielle Smith and her UCP MLAs. They might make some changes. The, the you know that might be against the election committee. That might you know slightly benefit the UCP per se. You know because the riding like Calgary Acadia one by seven votes, and Calgary Glenmore one by thirty votes, and you know maybe the UCP will redistribute those writings to make them a little more UCP friendly per se.
0: that wouldn't <laughs> take much, but I mean, gerrymandering by politicians. What?
7: <laughs> yeah. Anything and, else you uh, want to throw in there, man? Um, and another thing is the NDP leadership election. You know, there's talk going around about Edmonton or Calgary, whether a leader comes from Edmonton or Calgary, because those are, the Two big cities, but you know, the wild cards out there are Lethbridge and you know, maybe Banff, Kananaskis. Hey, maybe you don't, you never know what's going to happen there. But you know, some people are you know, propping up the MLA for Lethbridge West, which could you know help bring up the NDP in southern Alberta and Calgary, per se, because it's always been an Edmonton style party, <laughs> which is um you know, per se good for the Edmontonians, but you know, not so much well for Calgary and Southern Alberta,
0: which is wild to me because if you take a look at the history of the NDP, it is, and this is, this is, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me that this isn't something that the NDP have more aggressively hopped on. Uh, because if you take a look at the history of the NDP, it is a, a party of farmers. It's a party of rural Alberta. Um, and or or rural Canada, and for the the NDP to have moved away from that history of being the the party of the the rural to being the party of the the Edmonton is is wild
7: to me. Yes, it certainly is wild that they've transferred from rural to urban prioritization in their yeah. policies and whatnot. And uh, you know, uh, I think you could probably. Maybe, maybe, maybe not say the same for conservatives because, uh, I don't know, based off of what I've seen, you know, conservatism, you know, it was more generally in the Calgary area. But now, you know, the NDP, since they've shifted priorities from being a more rural-ish party to an urban party, you can see that that, that has helped them garner more ground in Calgary and uh, Lethbridge and, you know, Red Deer and all those areas.
0: Yeah. We'll see what we see.
7: Yeah. Uh, I think one last thing i I'll like to add is um, how this, how the federal election might impact the provincial election. Cause you know, Daniel Smith's rhetoric is always blaming the federal government. And um, you know, if this conservatives honestly get into power, that might honestly make the NDP go into power. Cause Daniel Smith's whole rhetoric collapses on the spot
0: it could be interesting. Um, it'll be interesting to see when that election happens. I know there's some people who are speculating, Oh, it's going to come any day now. I, I, I don't see any benefit to the liberals calling an election anytime soon because for them, because they lose everything. Uh, and it'll be a hell of a, a way for, for Trudeau to leave. I suspect that, you know, if, if, if I was Justin Trudeau, um, the way that I would want to handle this is I would want to give it a little bit of time. And then I would probably declare a, in the same fashion that Rachel Notley has, I would probably declare a leadership race for the liberals, but I would probably time it. So it ended right near the, you know, six months before the scheduled election anyways. Um, you know, there's a reason why part, I suspect with the the NDP leadership race, we're going to see a fairly long race, uh, because it's free campaigning, it's free media. Uh, and if I was Justin Trudeau, I'd be pushing things out as far as I could. And then I would say, uh, tag, um, you're, you're it and go from there. So
7: and I think one last thing I'll like to add is, um, I think I'll be supporting Kathleen Canley in the Alberta NDP leadership election, Not not only because she's from Calgary and strategic, but because based off her Performance in the legislature. She's been doing really well pointing out the problems of the UCP, being critical of those problems, and uh, especially as energy critic. She's been doing well at her job. And, you know, she's one of the only three MLAs who survived 2019 um, in Calgary, which was really a tight, tight race. And honestly, you know, it, 2019 was good in solidifying the NDP opposition, but they lost a lot of ground in Calgary then which was honestly pretty, pretty crappy for them.
0: You're not wrong. Well, thanks, man. And uh, I'm not going to be endorsing anyone um, as we go through this process because that takes all of the fun out of it. And, you know, quite frankly, I mean, Catherine Ganley is is pretty clear she's running for leadership. I mean, she's been doing (laughs) that for a while now. But um, whether or not it actually... Who else, who else throws in? I don't
7: think we're going to see Janice Irwin throw in. No, no, that's uh, Alberta is not ready for that type of energy. No, I wish,
0: I wish. I think Janice Irwin is so uh, authentic and that's the, you know, the two things that I look for from a, a, a politician that I'll be like, Oh, I think you might be doing something interesting is authenticity and a mind at work. And I think she has both of those things um, in, in abundance Uh, but I just don't think that
7: neither Alberta or, quite frankly, the NDP are ready for her as a leader. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Thanks. This has been good. Um, I'm going to go now. Cool. Thanks, man. Well, you have a good night,
0: and uh, maybe we'll see you next week. Hopefully. All right. I'm going to bring in Lynn, and then we're going to go to Cassandra, and then I'm going to shut it down there because uh, with the audio's not working, then it's, you know, the longer that we go, the longer we're going to have to go back everything, and it's going to turn into a chore. So, Lynn, what's going on tonight? Hey, Nick. How, uh, Nate, how are you? One of those guys. I don't <laughs> know. I'm good.
3: Uh, yeah. All I wanted to say is I've been enjoying this week watching between Twitter, Facebook, the problems that they're having with the ticket sales and Edmonton for Tucker. It's been an yep. absolute joy to me, and I... Post it on the whistle stop, save your money and not support Putin's or uh, Tucker, Putin's uh, favorite Tucker, something like that. And I yeah, got yeah. a response back. I, I was shocked that Chris called me a virtuous signaling fool. Um, uh, it's a little below him, I think, but whatever. Uh, he doesn't understand when I said for Ukrainians, I meant actual Ukrainians in Ukraine where we've been raising money for trucks for the soldiers. But anyway, Chris has bought row 4 and 5 of the Tucker in Edmonton at $500 a seat. I don't know how many seats there are, but I think there's quite a few and he can't sell them. So again, I ask who's the fool.
0: Well, I mean, I went before we did the we started the show. I went to see if you could still get tickets for Calgary and Edmonton. And you can for both. So, as much as they're all Calgary sold out, uh, the 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 ticket places don't seem to think so. So um, i I don't think that that's that's the the thing at all. Um, no,
3: because people, Brett Wilson, Chris, other people, have bought lots of seats, and they're trying to make money selling those seats. And the poor fools. Are going to lose money yep because you last week you could get a seat for as little as five (laughs) dollars yeah on the whistle stop they were advertising even if you can only give five dollars
4: oh
0: wow
3: i was tempted but i kept my five dollars
0: good choice good choice anyway (laughs) awesome thanks lynn hope things are doing well for you
3: thank you thank you nate (laughs)
0: Good night. All right. Well, all right. We're going to end up with Cassandra and, uh, that will be the, the end of tonight's show. And we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up there. So Cassandra closing thoughts. What do you got?
8: (laughs) Well, I just wanted to, I mean, there's so much I could say about the homeless situation and their little plan. Um, I somebody else noted it too, but I also noted the fact that I, I found it interesting that he pushed the they were inviting the chief up to speak and he pushed him out of the way because he seemed to not want him to speak and he wanted to say his piece. Um, I found that interesting. I don't know what's behind it. I also find it very confusing when I see um, them have a couple chiefs there because I i've never heard anything from the indigenous community that says that they support them in any way so i find it really weird but um that's that and but the the numbers i wanted to throw out is um so and i believe this is just for edmonton but i could be wrong i i couldn't find my document to confirm but it's something like when they're saying there's available spaces so uh, 1,700 be- uh, 1, shelter beds um, counted 3,000 uh, people that are actually homeless on the streets. And the fact that they actually say that's an underestimate because they pro- figure it's probably closer to 5,000. And I've been doing um, a lot of, I- I'm active, of course, with different groups on the home- housing and homelessness situation not just in Alberta but across Canada and uh, one of the things I've been actually reading up on is the the, the challenges uh, in gathering statistics on the homeless population because it's not always what it looks like and there's yeah. barriers to, to effectively counting even those people that are like literally on the street. Um, and one of the things but one of the things that's interesting it's the har- the hardest population to count is wi- women and gender diverse um because they don't they're not what we typically think about when we think about homelessness they are couch surfing and doing other things and they don't tend to go to shelters where which is a, where a lot of the counting uh comes and the reason they don't go to shelters is because of gender-based violence usually um that they that they're trying to avoid but they still end up in situations a lot of women go back to intimate partner relationships where there was domestic uh, violence going on but they do it because the choice is to be out in the cold or to go back um and so there's there's all kinds of people that are that are homeless um that are just it's difficult to find them and 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 count them And so when they're saying there's enough shelter beds, that's just completely false. And if they actually dug into the data like I do, um, they would say that, but they're, I don't know, they're just trying to, I, I, I think they know, they just are trying to say, hey, look, see, we're doing something, everything's okay, stop the panic. In the meantime, all the frontline workers. The other comment I wanted to make about his comment about don't listen to the activists, um, you know, I often talk about my time in nonprofit, and um, y- you know, we were—I was with an agency that was a frontline. It was a frontline service provider um, on the downtown east side, and and I'll tell you, every single person that was on either the board, um, a volunteer, but also every paid employee of that organization—they were all activists and the and what were they activists on they were talking about what they were seeing on the front lines. And they were being activists to raise awareness and to try to get somebody to do something so this idea that you shouldn't listen to activists well the activists are the frontline service workers. Um, Whether they're volunteers or paid or board members they're all tend to be activists because they're not getting into those positions because they're because they're lucrative. They're getting into those positions because they actually care. And um, this idea that we shouldn't listen to them is just I I, I just I was screaming when I when I heard it. So when you played that clip, I was just like screaming in my head like you're like, it's just such a jerk thing to say. and completely out of touch with with reality um and the last thing i wanted to comment on so just so anybody knows another reason not to i mean i know some people that you might have been interested in buying a ticket just to out of curiosity and just not because they support any of it but just you know but but i would say um i i'm aware i i'm become aware of a camp uh there's a campaign going on I don't know if anybody remembers when Ann Coulter was, um, people filed reports against uh, with CSIS against uh, Ann Coulter or with public safety against Ann Coulter and it was able to stop her from entering Canada at the border. And they're doing the same, they're, a similar campaign is going on um, with Tucker Carl- Carlson. And um, one of the things that somebody brought up, which I, I had to go look it up because I, I wasn't aware of it until I was told, And I had to go look at it, It, and it was written about in in the National Post and a few other uh, Canadian newspapers. Um, One of the things that Tucker Carlson uh, was saying, and why he could be definitely seen as a security risk, is he was promoting, and it was through some docu-series he was doing with Fox right before he got fired, and then the series got cancelled, but he was talking about that they needed to it basically invade Canada um, because they needed to liberate us. Yeah.
0: No, he's, he said that a a couple of times, Um, that that clip is in, in circulation. I think the challenge that they would probably have with, using that as a as a legal block is that because he has said so many things that are demonstrably false and because he has a established legal history of this this character that he plays when he's hosting things uh not being connected with his actual views i mean that's one of the things that came out of the dominion lawsuit is tucker carlson says one thing and then he says a completely
8: opposite thing but Uh, but again um I, I would argue that that also makes him a security risk. And, and to be clear, if they decide to investigate him because people are reporting, and that's not the only thing. That was just one of the things that people were talking about to use. Um, I mean, there's a wealth of stuff in there, like his white supremacy and stuff like that. Um, yep. But uh, um, he... Even if they started an investigation, all they need is an investigation to stop him at the border. It doesn't mean, because investigations take long time, right? So to stop him from coming in, I would believe you would only need to get an investigation going. I believe that's what happened with Ann Coulter. They didn't just, you know.
0: I mean, I don't think that he should be being stopped at the border. And that's probably uh, something that, that I'll I'll pay for saying a little bit but I don't think he should be stopped at the border I think he should be allowed to come here I think that he should be uh, allowed to speak I think that if he breaches the Canadian criminal code he should be arrested and charged appropriately what I think needs to happen more than anything though is cuz like yeah we've got a lot we got lots of bigots here too No I know no short- I
8: know but we don't need to be importing people like him to rile them up and make them feel like they have more you know what I mean? Like it gives them power. And that's my concern. And I'm not saying what I'm not taking a stance either way. I'm just letting people know that this is going on. And I think it's a personal decision, whether you decide to, you know, be a part of that campaign. I'm just kind of raising awareness, yeah, sure. raising awareness about it. I'm not sure if I would, I'm not sure if I, anyway, but um but it's out there and and so there's a lot of I think the point is there's a lot of outcry against him coming and um and 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 this idea that he could you know like honestly like these people it's it's just like you know the other one that I I can't stand Christine Anderson is a member of uh uh the ADF in uh Germany uh, which is a neo-Nazi party. It, one one of their, I mean, Nazism is illegal in Germany. One of them has been, um, one of their members has actually been charged with Nazism and convicted. And, but Christine Anderson sits in the legislature and she's constant. We have conservative members that are constantly having, hosting her in Canada. and 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 I just don't think it's helpful. Like we do have bigots. We do have people like that here, but, allowing them to import more of it from other places making it seem like it's more acceptable than it is 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 what i what concerns me i guess yeah oh i don't yeah I
0: don't disagree. I think it, it is it is super gross. I think that the Tucker Carlson is a reprehensible human being. I think that he he deliberately misleads people. I think that he's deliberately dishonest because it makes him money. Yeah. Uh, oh, agree. I think that he. Yeah. yeah. He's 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 a, he's a, he's bad for democracy. But at the same time, I think the problem that we're having is like if Tucker Carlson was coming to Edmonton and Calgary. And he, I mean, I think the the turnout in Edmonton and the 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 seating problems in Edmonton largely speak for themselves. But you know, it should not be a case where the premier of Alberta is fangirling so hard that she wants to to do the event so she can share a stage with Tucker Carlson. Well, it makes me because, sick. It
8: just tells you who she is, right? Like, what in case anybody had any doubts, right? <laughs>
0: Yeah, but that's that I think is where the the problem is, is that uh, we have leadership that is is providing legitimacy that they absolutely shouldn't be. Yeah, and that's so like I don't want to say, you know, if somebody's like go beat up that guy because he's whatever. Yeah, no, now you're breaking the law, um, and yeah. you should be prosecuted with the force of the law in this country because we got laws against hate speech. But if you want to come up and say dumb conspiracy theories, you're allowed to say dumb conspiracy theories. The problem that we have in this province right now is that the institutions that are supposed to publicly and clearly say, well, that's bullshit, are afraid and or complicit. Yeah, I know. And that's what the problem is. I agree. So, I, I'm far more interested in investing my energy in saying, hey, the premier of Alberta is complicit in Amplifying this bullshit, and that's a problem we need to talk about. Rather than investing my energy in trying to say, "Hey, we shouldn't (laughs) let that guy come up here," because yeah, I don't know. We're gonna. It's just to me. It's if if you're going to believe in the 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 principles of uh, freedom of expression and all of that, I think that even when it's uncomfortable, you have to be willing to say, "Okay, so you get to say your dumb shit." But I get to stand up and say, that's dumb shit.
8: Yeah, but, but you know, to be clear, I mean, what he was promoting, and, and this concerns me, like I was alarmed. I mean, I'm always alarmed by him. But the fact that he was promoting, I mean, he, when he says people, things to these American audiences that buy into his stuff, he and he has we've seen him how it's incited them to do what he says whether he means it or not and and that is so when he's promoting that americans should invade canada and have an insurrection of our government uh, that to me i mean that's criminal in itself right like
0: we are dangerous. Like we do share a, a large border with Montana.
8: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know, right? No, I know it's...
0: <laughs> it's. There's love in Montana too. Yeah, I
8: mean, because he's not talking about just Alberta. Like he's talking about Canada when he's saying that stuff. And 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 you know, I know, like especially with this APT stuff, a lot of people are standing up in Alberta and going, "We're Canadian first. and I'll, and and then Alberta and 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 you know i know you've said it but i know tons of other people that have said it i've said it and um and and so this idea that are all you know people like danielle smith in alberta and if you know if she's successful there's others that might try it and and that's what that's what scares me i think it is i think he is a national security risk i really do and that's it's not about the freedom of expression or point it's about the the a, a very real national security risk that he could pose in my mind, and I'm not, I, I'm not yet. Yeah, I I get your point, and I agree with you on on a lot of it. I'm just saying I'm also looking at that too. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I mean at the end of the day, to me, I I think the the best way to deal with Tucker Carlson's invasion threats is to like get the message out that really if what you want to do is uh if you're gonna invade canada you want to do it in 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 july or august that's the the peak invasion time because then we're going to get a boatload of americans showing up on the border with with like parkas and snow pants and they're going (laughs) to get 20 feet before they sweat too much and pass out so like there's (laughs) there's strategies that we can use is all i'm
8: saying Ah yes, I know. I don't think they're as naive about that as they used to be. But yeah, I see what you mean. That's funny.
0: <laughs> I mean, well, Sandra, I want to thank you for, for weighing in tonight. And uh we're we're coming up to the two and a half hour mark, so I'm gonna shut it shut it down. But uh uh well, thank, thank you. you for weighing in with your perspective
8: as always. Thank you for having me as always. I, I really appreciate uh the fact that you don't just give me a voice, but you give so many people. A voice to to say their piece and to speak out against some of the stuff that's going on. And I think that that's, I think it's really important what you do, Nate, and I'm very grateful.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's very kind. And we will get the audio fixed so that their voices can be heard on the podcast and we'll repost all the videos as well so that it goes up there um, because... I don't know what's going on. I got like all the little meters are doing all the things they're supposed to do over here, but it's apparently not working. So we'll get it. We'll get it figured out. Um, but that's it. That's the show, everybody. Thank you so much uh, to everybody who tuned in. Thank you to everybody who watched uh, on the, the Twitter machine, on the Facebook machine, on the YouTubes. Um, thank you to everybody who listened on the Twitter spaces and especially everybody who engaged on the Twitter spaces. Thank you so much for that. Uh, we will be back in one week. We're going to do another live show next Sunday. And like I said, we've got a, another little special little deep dive thinger we're going to be doing on a certain media organization. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, and that's that's about it. So, um, like I said, though, we take a look at the legislator session. Now the time's to rest up because we know Danny's getting back. I think she gets back allegedly tomorrow from uh, her vacation. And it's going to be, oh, the guns, they'll be a pretty quick. And we have a lot, 15, 15 weeks of legislative session, which is like three times as much as it was last year. So they're going to be doing the thing. So rest up, catch your breath and get ready because uh, there's going to be a lot going on in politics in the province of Alberta. And the more eyes that are on it, the the better. And remember, as much as it's super easy to dismiss David Parker and make fun of him, The dude does know how to do the things, and he is a real threat, and he says he wants to mess with school boards and public education, so don't get complacent just because he's having a nutty. That's it, everybody. Take care of yourselves, as always, and keep the conversation going.